You're listening to the English for Today Learn English podcast series brought to you by EnglishForToday.com. Previous posts, I've talked about how English is a living, changing, and very flexible language. Contributing to this is the way that writers often change and stretch and bend the framework of language, grammar, vocabulary, and syntax to make a better fit with their vision. Now, if you're learning English as a second language, it's important to remember this as you'll often come across cases in literature, popular songs, poems, and journalism where the rules of English seem to have been broken or bent way out of shape. I get a lot of emails from our members and students who are confused after listening to a song or reading a book and finding grammatical errors all over the place. This doesn't mean that anything goes when you write English, but it does mean that some writers will push vocabulary, grammar and syntax around to get it to do exactly what they want it to do. Now, a few days ago, I wrote a post about Marshall McLuhan's ideas on the phonetic alphabet and finished by making some remarks about another writer, Cormac McCarthy, and his book, The Road, saying that I felt that we can use language to break outside of a straight and narrow interpretation of reality and experience, contrary, perhaps, to McLuhan's belief that we are straight-jacketed by our language. By the way, if you're a student taking one of our English for Today writing courses, or if you're interested in writing in any way, then I'd recommend reading The Road as a perfect illustration of how less can be more. I don't want to turn this blog into a muddy pool of dull literary criticism. In fact, tomorrow I'll turn back to some of the grammar questions that you've been sending in as they're piling up again. And apologies to all of those who are waiting for an answer. If you studied English literature at university or college, you'll remember how boring it is to listen to the critical dissection of a great novel or poem that has moved you, that you've really liked, and how difficult it is to shake the habit of dissection once you've had the training drilled into you. Now, I mention this because the friends who lent me the road made the mistake of asking me if I liked the book. I started to see that glazed look on their faces when I swung into the linear and progressive, etc., etc., and blah, blah, blah. The look that says, how can I get to the door without him noticing? So I'm going to keep this short and try to strangle the desire to take myself too seriously. Now I start by saying, read Cormac McCarthy's The Road for the story, which is bleak, chilling, deeply moving and beautifully told, and perhaps stay clear of the language and literature mechanics who just want to take it apart piece by piece, which may of course mean that you stop reading this here and go get a coffee instead. However, picking up my tools, what I want to look at is how McCarthy's breaking of the rules creates the atmosphere of the book and how breaking the rules can sometimes work very well. The Road, very briefly, is the story of a father and son journeying south in an ash-covered, burnt and poisoned post-apocalyptic world where almost everything that we know of our world has disappeared and where humans have been reduced to amoral, cruel, cannibalistic scavengers, desperately trying to survive in landscapes where there's virtually nothing left to sustain life, with the exception of rare scatterings of leftovers from the past. McCarthy chooses to write this story using an equally startling and spare style. The paragraphs are short 
and almost staccato-like. The dialogue reduced to very short sentences, often with little content, perhaps because all of the points of reference for our language, things, feelings, emotions, have gone, and there's almost nothing left to say. McCarthy also changes the way we punctuate prose, pulling out another reference point, an effect which seems to flatten the dialogue, making it as dulled as the landscape it echoes against. Now have a look at this conversation between the father and his son. If you're just listening to this podcast, uh, I'd recommend going to have a look at the written version on blogs.englishfortoday.com or the grammar FAQ on englishfortoday.com as it's important to see how the punctuation is working in this quote. I quote, After a while he said, You mean you wish that you were dead? Yes, you mustn't say that. But I do. Don't say it. It's a bad thing to say. I can't help it. I know, but you have to. How do I do it? I don't know. End of the quote. That's fairly minimalistic dialogue. After reading it, what do you notice? Well, probably the first thing you noticed was that there are no inverted commas or speech marks telling us when a chunk of speech from someone starts and ends or breaking the writer's description or comment off from the dialogue. It just isn't there. Everything, much like the landscape they're in, runs into each other and has a flat sameness to it. McCarthy is breaking a pretty fundamental stylistic rule here, but it makes the language do what he wants. The next thing that you may have noticed is that the contractions are not marked with an apostrophe. Don't, can't, mustn't. No apostrophes in sight. I don't want to hammer the why of McCarthy's intention. It's perhaps better that you think about this yourself. But I do want to note, again, that the breaking of a fundamental rule of English grammar creates a new effect and isn't, of course, a result of the writer not knowing enough about grammar. You may also have noticed that he does use the apostrophe for the contraction of it is to its, and in other parts of the book you can see that there's a real inconsistency in this flattening of punctuation. Again, I don't really have an answer to why he would write can't without the apostrophe in one place and you'd for you would with the apostrophe in another. Maybe it's intended to show how language, like everything else in this new world, is mutating, being reduced, fragmenting. But again, this is something for you to decide after reading the book. Early on in the book, there's a short passage that describes what you as the reader feel all the way through the book. I quote, The frailty of everything revealed at last. Old and troubling issues resolved into nothingness and night. The last instance of the thing takes the class with it, turns out the light, and is gone. Now this is really McLuhan's world inverted, where the word no longer points meaninglessly to a thing, an object in the real world, but where the thing no longer exists, and the word still existing is rendered completely useless and meaningless. And McCarthy manages to make us understand this, not only by using the words he has available to describe this terrible new world, but by taking away from what we accept as perhaps timeless and inviolate, that is, the accepted forms of grammar and punctuation and the rules that bind them, 
and twisting them and reducing them in the same way as everything else in the landscape that they now have to inhabit and describe. Now this is just a glimpse into how McCarthy breaks the rules of English to deliver his story more powerfully. And again, it's really to illustrate for all of you worried English language learners that the rules that surround the grammars of languages are not as inflexible as you may think and that it's in the breaking of them that great expression is often achieved. I'm going to leave you with that and an encouragement to read The Road and to decide for yourself whether McCarthy is a great writer or desperately in need of one of our English for Today grammar courses. Until the next time. Visit www.englishfortoday.com and see how we can help you improve your English.